I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Our guest today is known as America's most trusted pharmacist. We'll find out why Susie Cohen has embraced natural healing. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Susie Cohen has experience behind the pharmacy counter, in hospitals, and long-term care facilities. She's seen firsthand how many medications can alter nutritional status. What can be done about that? How did antibiotics like Cipro or Leviquin change Susie's attitude towards pharmaceuticals? What questions should you ask if you receive a prescription for an antibiotic? It's important to know about the risks as well as the benefits of any new medicine. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, comparing natural healing to pharmaceuticals. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines. The FDA has just announced plans for a black box warning for the osteoporosis drug denosumab. Under the brand name Prolia, this medication is designed to help build bone in people at high risk of fracture due to bone loss. That might include postmenopausal women, men with prostate or lung cancer, and other people who need to be treated with systemic corticosteroids like prednisone. A new study demonstrates that people on dialysis are vulnerable to very low blood calcium while being treated with prolia. Such hypocalcemia doesn't always cause symptoms, but when it does, they can be severe. Irregular heart rhythms, seizures, confusion, fainting, and uncontrollable muscle twitching are all possible. Some people die. Prolia is administered by injection every six months. The study, which included nearly 3,000 women on dialysis, found that at three months, 41% of those on prolia had seriously low calcium levels. In comparison, only 2% of those on oral osteoporosis drugs developed hypocalcemia in that time frame. An editorial in the same journal urged doctors to concentrate on preventing hypocalcemia in dialysis patients. The boxed warning FDA will require on prescribing information should alert physicians to this serious risk. Although people on dialysis are at the highest risk, low calcium levels can occur in other patients as well. How well do doctors understand the FDA's drug approval process? According to a survey published in the journal Health Affairs, not very well. Of the more than 500 doctors who responded, less than half had a moderate or better understanding of how the FDA reviews and approves new medications and medical devices. Many physicians assumed that the FDA requires drug companies to provide evidence of clinical benefit. Most doctors prioritize patient outcomes such as quality of life or reduced mortality. The majority of medications, however, are currently approved on the basis of surrogate markers, such as lab results like cholesterol or blood glucose. One-third of people who suffer strokes experience difficulty speaking during the immediate aftermath of the event. Nearly two-thirds of these patients still have speech difficulties a year later. Scientists have been trying to discover medications that might help, but an ancient Chinese therapy has now been shown to help this condition. 
Research published in JAMA Network Open involved 252 patients randomized to acupuncture or sham acupuncture. Those who received the actual acupuncture for six weeks had significantly better recovery up to six months later than those who received the sham acupuncture. For many years, studies have suggested that people consuming high levels of cocoflavanols may have lower blood pressure than those who do not. Probably the most popular source of cocoflavanols in the diet is dark chocolate. However, randomized placebo-controlled trials have been hampered by the difficulty in finding an appropriate placebo, as well as by other discrepancies from one study to the next. This makes it difficult to compare results. Scientists have now published a genome-wide association study of dark chocolate consumption in the UK Biobank dataset. They analyzed chocolate consumption and 12 different cardiovascular diseases. What they found was an inverse association between dark chocolate intake and blood pressure. In other words, people who ate more dark chocolate were less likely to have high blood pressure. In addition, the data hint at a lower risk of venous thromboembolism for chocolate lovers. There were no significant connections between dark chocolate and other cardiovascular diseases such as heart attacks. Many people enjoy drinking fruit juice as a healthful beverage and a way of consuming nutrients from fruit. However, these juices can be high in sugar with little or no fiber. A meta-analysis of 42 studies found that kids who drink fruit juice are prone to weight gain. Adults do not appear to be at the same risk. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Today we're talking with America's pharmacist. Susie Cohen likes to think beyond pills by offering health advice that includes natural approaches. Susie Cohen has more than 30 years of clinical experience in retail, hospital, and long-term care pharmacies. She's been called America's most trusted pharmacist. Susie writes a syndicated newspaper column, Dear Pharmacist, and is the author of several acclaimed books, including Drug Muggers and Thyroid Healthy. In 2023, she received a National Patient Safety Award from Nova Southeastern University. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Susie Cohen. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Susie, we are so grateful to have you join us. We have admired your work for decades, and I'm kind of curious how you ended up as America's pharmacist and how you ended up in newspapers and on TV and all of the places you've been for the last several decades. That's a really interesting question because with the white coat comes the responsibility of knowing the next best drug and how to treat people's symptoms and how to interact with physicians and family. So how would I wind up speaking so passionately about natural medicine and be a bit of a rebel? Uh, it's a great question. I've been asked numerous times. I think what started me in this direction was when I began working in retail pharmacy, I started to notice that the drugs I dispensed would 
be sent home with the patient. And then later on, they would call me with a headache or nausea or some adverse side effect. And it caused me to question like, wow, did I inadvertently hurt them by trying to help this one symptom? So that was just an undercurrent in the background of my mind. Concomitant to that, I married my beloved husband named Sam. As a young woman, I started to notice that he was experiencing really bad side effects from a medication that had been prescribed to him years before, years before I even knew him. And I can delve deeper into that later if you want the details. But essentially, it was yet another, just another, you know, thumbtack in the wall to show me that drugs weren't everything that they were cracked up to be. So I started to think outside the pill. I went to the functional medicine forum when there was like 10 people in the room with Jeffrey Bland. And I started to learn that the body is a whole and it should be treated with great respect and we shouldn't just keep throwing drug after drug on top of it. But there's a little bit more. So anyway, that's the short story. Well, what's that little bit more? <laughs> well, I was also working in nursing homes. So I was seeing people at a relatively young age experiencing real problems. And they were on a lot of drugs, what's termed polypharmacy. And it started to make me realize that that the medications were depleting nutrients. I had gotten a hold of this tiny little handbook written by a couple of other heroes. You guys are my heroes too, <laughs> but uh, Dr. James Laval and um, uh, anyway, it's a handbook called the Nutrient, the Drug Nutrient Depletion Handbook, and it was a wonderful handbook. And I really took to that, and it made me realize that. Every medication we prescribe to a patient causes them to lose a nutrient, whether that's by changing the acid-alkaline balance in the gut or by causing the body to over-metabolize a nutrient or whatever the cause of it was, that the medications we're prescribing were causing more symptoms after the fact that would later go on to be diagnosed as yet a new disease, and then a new drug would be layered on top of it. So this was in the nursing home where I came to this awareness and we realized that I knew the side effect solution. It wasn't more drugs. It was installing a, a nutrient security system where people could take a nutrient or vitamin or mineral that was being depleted by the medication they were taking. Classic example of this is antibiotics. They smash your levels of probiotics. So in essence, antibiotics are drug muggers of probiotics. Another classic example of this is the statin cholesterol reducing category. These medications like atorvastatin, simvastatin, et cetera, they can deplete our stash of CoQ10. Now, this is widely known today, but 30 years ago, it was not. And so all of these things came together and had to cause me to change the course of my life and stop looking at medications as the greatest thing ever, but to use them with caution only as a last resort and try natural things that we could derive from our planet. Well, I think 30 years ago, if you said coenzyme Q10, a lot of people would look at you like, what's that and why would we need it? Right. Um, when I said coenzyme Q10 in the newspapers, <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble <laughs> from some cardiologists that they just didn't really want to believe that. I would send stacks of research 
And um, again, I was using the Drug-Induced Nutrient Depletion Handbook written by two friends, Ross Pelton, who's a wonderful pharmacist, and James Laval. So I was looking this at this as my guidebook and my Bible of sorts. And then I went on to write a consumer-friendly book called Drug Muggers. And that explained to consumers in lay language what was happening to them. And that went on to become a national bestseller, and it's in like 10 different languages. Well, you know what's so fascinating to me, Susie, is that we have followed such similar paths. Because when I graduated from the University of Michigan um, with a degree in pharmacology, it was like drugs are the solution. And I loved double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized trials. And Terry was the medical anthropologist, and she was into, you know, herbs and natural healing and what people were actually doing. And so we started a newspaper column. We wrote books. And more recently, we got a patient safety award that you also have received. So we, we've actually been kind of parallel tracks. But there are a lot of physicians, a lot of specialists, even a lot of pharmacists who don't quite know what to make of us and you. Yeah. How, how do you manage that interesting maze that we have walked into? I walk a tightrope. Try not to fall on either side of it. Because as a knowledgeable pharmacist, I'm well acquainted with the common inquiries that people brought to me, their local pharmacist. I knew what they were asking of me. And often those questions revolved around seeking natural alternatives so they wouldn't have to buy the medications. They were expensive or they wouldn't have to buy the medications because they couldn't tolerate the side effects. So, you know, I, I kind of had that ingrained in me and I'm a natural born researcher. So when I write my blogs, which are archived at my website, I always infuse them with a sense of, com of infuse them with both natural remedies as well as medications. And that way people can make the best decision for themselves and they can print my articles and they can take them to their physician or they can clip them from the newspaper. Because like you, I, I too remain a syndicated columnist. I'm self-syndicated. I actually bought my rights back from the Chicago Tribune because I wanted to, <laughs> because I wanted to say what I wanted to say about breast cancer, about mammograms, about thermography, about CoQ10, about natural remedies. Remember, you and I kind of grew up and we became like the Dear Abby of health, but at a time where it wasn't welcomed, where our health message was scrutinized heavily. So I learned very quickly, do not put into print anything that I can't back up with like 10 references. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to get beat up, you know. And also, don't miss a comma because every teacher in America will email <laughs> me and tell me I had a typo or I missed a comma. So Absolutely. Oh, we have experienced that, <laughs> we can assure you. A lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, just a classic example, everybody's living on amlodipine or losartan, and these are excellent drugs for blood pressure lowering effects. But there was a systemic, a systematic review published in the Journal of BMC Cardiovascular Disorders that showed that garlic supplementation could work well. So it begs the question, why can't somebody eat more garlic or take a great garlic supplement along with their medication? Why would us, you know, posting this or printing this in a paper cost so much ruckus? It really begs the question about, 
you know, what which industries are running us and what they want consumers to know. I mean, there's television commercials for medications all day long, 24-7, right? In between infomercials at 3 a.m. But there's hardly any commercials that show taking CoQ10 and garlic can help reduce your blood pressure, could work, could make lisinopril work better. There's very few, there's no commercials telling people to look at natural remedies. Well, exactly. Even though there's research, for example, showing that um, hibiscus, if you were to drink hibiscus tea every day, it works along the same pathways as the ACE inhibitors like lisinopril, and and it does lower blood pressure. Yes, and as something else, hibiscus is absolutely wonderful for memory. I even have a YouTube video of how to make hibiscus tea to help you with your memory. And it's not just because it's great, it, very rich in antioxidants. It it helps with liver health and lowering cholesterol. And also, hibiscus flowers are pretty. Who doesn't want to eat beautiful medicine, if you will? And and, and it tastes good too. You know, <laughs> I. I have it in my cabinet. Well, we're going to start with a break. But when we come back, Susie, I want to talk to you about effectiveness. Because there are generations of doctors who believe that natural healing is uh, bogus, a waste of time, and potentially problematic. But they don't look at the effectiveness nor the risks of medications that they prescribe on a daily basis. So in a minute, let's dig into that, okay? Let's do it. You're listening to Susie Cohen, pharmacist and author. Her syndicated column, Dear Pharmacist, reaches millions of readers around the country. She's also written a number of books, including Drug Muggers and Thyroid Healthy. In 2023, she received a National Patient Safety Award from Nova Southeastern University. Her website is suzycohen.com. After the break, we'll talk more about natural healing and why experience matters. What kind of evidence do we have for drugs on the one hand and natural treatments on the other? Fluoroquinolone antibiotics like Cipro were treated like magic bullets when they were first introduced. What sorts of problems did that cause? If you get a prescription for an antibiotic, what should you do to stay as safe as possible while you take it? And if you're using a natural treatment for a health problem, where do you turn for advice? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia backed by 20 years of scientific research and the maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, Cocoa Pro Cocoa Extract. Cocoa flavanols are among the most studied plant-based bioactives today and are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular and brain health for the long term, supporting a strong heart and better memory. Get 15% off your order of any Cocovia product by using the discount code PPOD15. Learn more at Cocovia and remember that discount code is PPOD15. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory Plus is formulated with 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols, a level clinically proven to improve three different types of memory and support brain function. More information at cocovia.com. There are times when medications save lives, but sometimes they cause adverse reactions that can be disabling or life-threatening. We're talking with Susie Cohen, pharmacist and author, about the differences between natural therapies and pharmaceuticals. Her syndicated column, Dear Pharmacist, reaches millions of readers around the country. She's also written a number of books, including Drug Muggers and Thyroid Healthy. Susie Cohen is the 2023 recipient of a National Patient Safety Award from Nova Southeastern University. Susie, I promised that we would talk about effectiveness, and it always amazes me that a lot of health professionals today, because A, they aren't trained, or B, they just are negatively predisposed to trash anything natural, even though many of our medications originally came from plants, from natural sources, and yet they kind of ignore the lack of effectiveness for some of the medications that they're prescribing. Right now, I have to admit that I'm on a tear about the new anti-amyloid Alzheimer's drugs because the benefits seem so small, if at all, and the risks seem so great. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of natural healing, how it goes back thousands of years, and how experience actually matters. Well, the first thing that we have to realize is that a lot of these studies are skewed a little bit and sometimes a lot. There's study design bias so that the design of a trial can be manipulated so that the drug shows better results. And if if something performs better than a placebo, even even if that placebo helps one person, but the drug helps two people in a study of 100 participants, they're going to say that that drug works, you know, 100% better and it's going to have multi-billion dollar commercials behind it. So there's that. There's also selective reporting um, where only positive results might be shared while some of the other inconclusive results are not shared. I mean, in short, there's an industry that they've got to run. And there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody wants to run their own business. So you, you can't blame them from their side. But there's also there's the pressure on academic researchers who receive funding from pharmaceutical companies and the doctors who may also feel some degree of pressure from the patient because they saw a television commercial about this drug and it really looks amazing and they're suffering and they want to be out of pain or they want their skin to look better. So they you know, go into the physician's office with a singular goal in mind. And if that doctor doesn't write that prescription for that medication, then on some level they're in trouble, right? The patient may go somewhere else. But the, And there's much more. That's the tip of the iceberg. Whereas with natural medicine, in my opinion, we have eons and centuries of use, you know, regarding some of these herbs they've grown from the ground up and they're on our planet. We have ancient civilizations and studies that, you know, back from 
think traditional Chinese medicine, TCM, which has been practiced for over 2,500 years, they included herbal medicine and acupuncture. We have um, studies from ancient Greece and Hippocrates. There's Native American healing. There's African traditional medicine and homeopathy, naturopathy, chiropractic. I mean, each person can argue or poke a hole into one of those practices. I understand that. I'm not saying that with an umbrella effect that all of these things are better than traditional or conventional medicine. I'm just saying that we have centuries of use, safe use, by many different people from around the globe to show that natural medicine can work. And at the end of the day, if you think about it, prescription medicine has only been around for a short while. What, since the advent of penicillin? About that, yeah. So that would be, have been the middle of the 20th century, roughly speaking. Right, right. So, I mean, even though it was one of the most significant medical discoveries, I believe uh, 1928, Sir Alexander Fleming, it's not that 1928 to now, <laughs> it's barely over 100 years old. What were we using before that? I mean, it's just common sense to me. Susie, you've talked about the safety in general uh, of natural medicine. Obviously, there are natural products that can be very unsafe, but I'd like to focus a little bit on a personal story, please, of lack of safety of one of those more conventional medicines. You mentioned that when you met your husband-to-be, there was a problem with antibiotics. Can you tell us the story, please? Yes, he's given me permission. He's so much better now. I mean, he's really, like, if you saw him, you'd think he was great and perfect. But when I met him, it was a little while after, maybe a year or two after he had been prescribed a fluoroquinolone drug. And it wasn't the drug itself. I believe it was the drug being prescribed for 60 days or something crazy like that. He doesn't remember. It's 60, maybe 90 days, which these these antibiotics are really only supposed to be prescribed for, you know, maybe 10 days or 14 days, sometimes a little bit longer if you have a bone infection like osteomyelitis or, you know, you might see a longer duration given for. Susie, before you go, before you go any further, I just want to hit the pause button and say you're talking about what we refer to as FQs, fluoro quinolones. Yes. And the brand names that most people will recognize are Cipro, Ciprofloxacin, and Levaquin, Levofloxacin. But there are several others. And we have learned so much about the potential adverse effects of these drugs over the last decade or two, but they've been prescribed for a lot longer than that. And in the beginning, they were prescribed almost like candy. Yes. And like many drugs, they come out as the next best thing for everything. Well, he didn't know this right away, and I didn't know this. We found this out years later when we looked back at the history, right? History, history, history. It's so important because if you listen to the patient, they will tell you what happened. And all of his symptoms began literally on the heels of this drug, like days later, well, what we know today is that there are very strong drug nutrient depletions that can cause severe mitochondrial damage and damage to DNA. And for example, it'll 
take minerals out of kilter. For example, fluoroquinolones can chelate or bind to magnesium very strongly, leading to reduced levels of mag in the body. Now, you know this, but our listeners may not, but magnesium is essential for over 300 biochemical processes, including nerve function. So Sam was left with severe neuropathy and paresthesias and sensations of like bugs crawling on him and like his skin was vibrating. He had brain fog and migraines and so much. Also, these FQ drugs can bind to calcium and chelate calcium, iron, zinc, not only that. So those are all minerals, right? Think about all the minerals that participate in biochemical reactions in the body. It impacts immune function and wound healing and DNA synthesis. On top of that, these drugs can cause GABA receptor inhibition. Well, that's a big term to just say that the body gets really super excited and turned on and not in a good way, but because GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter, it's the one we need to sleep. And so a disruption in the GABA uh, pathway can lead to overexcitation and a lot of neurological symptoms. Now, Sam didn't know any of this at the time and neither did I, but, but watching the man you love suffer and feeling so helpless and thinking like, what What did he take? What did he do? He was perfectly healthy for like 30 years. Like, what the hell happened? It really opened my eyes as a young woman in love and a young pharmacist that just wanted to do right by my patients, right? Do no harm to look back at what these doctors had done to him and who would prescribe a fluoroquinolone drug for that long, Oh my gosh. And the pharmacist that filled it, why didn't anybody tell him "Mm, you should not be taking this for this long? So it it caused tremendous oxidative stress, mitochondrial toxicity that still lingers, and a host of symptoms that were just disabling. Well, I wonder if you could just share a few of those because we have learned, for example, that fluoroquinolones can cause tendon rupture, which came as a super shock to a lot of people. It can also, these drugs can affect the heart, the heart valves, and uh, people can sometimes experience an aneurysm, which can be life-threatening. But there are all kinds of other things, muscle problems, as you mentioned, brain fog, even paranoid delusions. So give us a a quick snapshot of the downsides of the fluoroquinolone antibiotics. Well, for most people, I would say that they only experience the side effects that are really common, like nausea or vomiting. You know, some people might get diarrhea, typical of antibiotics, very typical because they're drug muggers of probiotics. So when you lose your gut flora... You know, you start to have a lot of GI symptoms and there are uh, sleep disturbances. So, you know, Sam has some of those. I didn't know him at the time, but typical of any antibiotic. I think the more serious side effects like the tendon issues, he did not have any of those, but those are highly associated with these types of drugs, particularly in older adults who take corticosteroids and it's the Achilles tendon that's most commonly affected. But for Sam, I can speak for him personally because I was there right by his side, loving him, watching him, and trying to make everything okay. I'm a fixer. And I didn't notice other side effects that he 
endured as a result of what we believe is getting floxed. I think that's the term that's affectionately mm -hmm. used to describe a person that has side effects. So he had some uh, migraines and moving headaches. He had uh, blood blood sugar fluctuations, and he would have like these, like, I've got to eat right now. He had really severe insomnia, like he wouldn't sleep for like two weeks in a row, sometimes longer before he'd have a night where he crashed for five hours. The big thing for him was the peripheral neuropathy and the small fiber neuropathy and also photosensitivity. But there's more. I mean, I don't want to limit it to that. And I also don't want our whole session to be about this particular category of drugs because I think what our listeners really want to know is how can they stay safe if they're prescribed an antibiotic? So I'll solve that problem and give you solutions for that right now. I think the best thing to do is to make sure with the pharmacist that it's being prescribed for the correct duration of time and that you ask, what is this for? Why am I taking this? A lot of people don't even know why they're taking an antibiotic. It's just that the doctor's giving them something that they feel is necessary, but the patient doesn't know why they're taking it. They're just very diligent and mechanical and, and just continue to take pill after pill every day and just suffer through the side effects. So know why you're taking it, know how long you're taking it, know whether or not you can eat food with it, and also know who to call in case you have a sudden weird adverse reaction. Don't just push through that. I think that's very important. And also, if, if you're prescribed it long term for a problem that you have, for example, Lyme disease, which requires long-term antibiotics, um, or chronic UTIs or osteomyelitis or something like that, maybe get a second opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. And explore natural alternative antimicrobials. There are many. Now, I think another thing that might be worth including in that list of questions, and these are questions you could ask the pharmacist, right? Yes, absolutely. I think you should ask, is there any side effect that if I experience it, I should go to the emergency room or stop taking the drug right away rather than waiting and checking in. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Um, I agree with you. And I also think that it's okay to look on Dr. Google. People joke about that and they're like, yeah, just don't go on Google. I understand that if you read it long enough, you're going to find out that you have some dreadful disease. But when I say look on Dr. Google, what I am actually referring to is finding a trusted resource a trusted website, a trusted resource, not just some forum on Reddit, you know, and and find a trusted resource of a healthcare practitioner that does blogs. I have a thousand blogs archived at my site. And on your website, you have these wonderful podcasts as well with many health experts. And there are many other wonderful websites where people will find out the simplest things. For example, honey, especially Manuka honey, has been found to hold significant antibacterial properties because it has this ingredient called methyl glyoxal. Garlic, we've already talked about, it contains allicin. For skin problems, tea tree oil, essential oil is wonderful. It has strong antifungal and antibacterial. There's so much more, oregano oil, cranberry, echinacea, olive leaf, coconut oil. There's so much. I mean, there's so much that people can do either as an adjunctive with their antibiotic or instead of? Absolutely. However, it does make sense not to just launch into it. it, it 
consulting someone who actually knows how to use it properly also makes sense. Well, you know, what what worries me, Susie, is that schools of pharmacy and medical schools, for the most part, don't talk about this. And so as a result, people go into the health food store and they ask the clerk, well, I've got a cough. I've, I've got a sore throat. What should I use? And the person behind the counter may or may not be knowledgeable. So people really do need to find resources that can say, oh, yeah, elderberry. Let me tell you about elderberry and how it works and what the benefits and risks are. Or a sage gargle for a sore throat, right? Yes. Um, beautiful. I love those. And in my patented supplement called Immune Script, I have andrographis and Chinese skull cap in there along with a postbiotic called Epicor. So uh, there's a lot that people can do, but there's not a lot that we can say. We're not allowed to make claims about any supplements. As a supplement maker, I'm not allowed to you know, say the joint script cures arthritis or helps you with your arthritic arthritic pain. But what we can say is talk and code. Well, this supports joint health. This supports immune health. This will improve T helper cells. But you made a really good point. You made me realize that sometimes the the health food store clerk is smarter than the pharmacist and doctor in terms of natural remedies. And that's kind of scary. Why isn't this curriculum in pharmacy schools? Why Why isn't it? And it probably goes back to our first segment where we were talking about, you know, the industry of pharmaceuticals. Who would fund a class or a teacher to discuss these things? There isn't a, a farm that, you know, creates um, garlic that's going to fund a class for this or the people that grow turmeric herb or ginger, you know, they're the beekeepers ha- that have propolis, they're not going to fund a classroom to teach students how effective these things are. You're listening to Susie Cohen, pharmacist and author. Her syndicated column, Dear Pharmacist, reaches millions of readers around the country. She's also written a number of books, including Drug Muggers and Thyroid Healthy. Her website is Susie Cohen. After the break, Susie Cohen tells us what supplement makers can and cannot say about their products. What does the phrase drug muggers mean? Which medicines are most likely to disrupt nutritional balance? Some drugs can be really hard to stop. Doctors may need advice on de-prescribing. We'll get Susie Cohen's tips on how to approach both medications and supplements for natural healing. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Cardio Health is offered in both convenient capsule and powder formats, with each serving containing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols to support heart health. More information at cocovia.com. 
Today, we're talking with Susie Cohen, America's pharmacist. She's devoted her career to examining the effectiveness of natural approaches as well as pharmaceuticals. Susie's syndicated newspaper column, Dear Pharmacist, reaches millions of readers around the country. She's also written a number of books, including Drug Muggers and Thyroid Healthy. Susie Cohen is the 2023 recipient of a National Patient Safety Award from Nova Southeastern University. Her website is susiecohen.com. Susie, we were just talking about uh, what you can and can't say about natural remedies and what you can and can't say about pharmaceuticals. And it drives me absolutely wild that the Food and Drug Administration, which is in charge of all this and says, oh, we only approve safe and effective drugs, but be wary of natural approaches and herbs and vitamins. Well, the best example I can think of right now are over-the-counter cough and cold and allergy remedies that contain the decongestant phenylephrine, PE for short. And in our first book, the People's Pharmacy, written over 50 years ago. Published in 1976. But written in 1972 and 73 and 74, I wrote, phenylephrine is ineffective. There's no evidence that it works. And you weren't the only one who was out there saying phenylephrine as an oral drug doesn't work. And yet... It's been on the market for all these decades, and only recently has the FDA said, oops, it doesn't work. And yet all of these drug companies have been promoting, advertising, mentioning how wonderful their cough, cold, and allergy remedies are. And it isn't at all clear what the FDA plans to do about the fact that oral phenylephrine is not effective. And yet... You can't say anything about elderberry. You can't say anything about natural approaches. Or andrographis, which does have research to back it up. How, how do you relate? Because, it, like I say, it drives me nuts. Yeah, it drives me nuts, too. And I think it's a maze that a lot of consumers are frustrated at having to navigate. And so relying on a pharmacist can be very helpful. As for phenylephrine itself, I remember that. I do think that is effective as an eye drop. And a nasal spray, I think mm-hmm. that that works topically very well. But exactly. once you put it into your, yeah, and so pe- people hear phenylephrine, oh, that doesn't work. So th- that's myth number one. The oral doesn't really work, um, might raise your blood pressure, but it's not effective as a decongestant. And uh, that's unfortunate. But however, it's the one that's out front, right? That they, they pulled the pseudofed, the pseudoephedrine behind the counter because of the theft and because of, you know, people's ability to turn it into meth or something related. So unfortunately, the thing that works orally, you can't get without asking the pharmacist. But how hard is that? So all of our listeners, if you want an oral decongestant, ask the pharmacist. It's it's back there. The thing that's out front with the phenylephrine that's out front of the counter isn't effective orally. And I don't know how they get away with this. I think just saying, I'm sorry, oops, works because it's 15 seconds on a ticker at the bottom of the news and then everybody moves on. So I think that they can reap, you know, millions of dollars by using studies and painting something great to consumers. 
And then later on, they go, you know what? We've changed our mind. And nobody really heard that. They're still struggling. So it is unfortunate. I think consumers have to rely on their pharmacists to tell them. So in a nutshell, phenylephrine is okay in your eye drops. It's okay as a nasal spray along with another one called oxymetazoline. But those should not be used for more than three or four days. Oral, look for pseudophedrine or pseudophed. Not Sudafed PE. The PE indicates phenylephrine. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, not going to work. And just re-educating people. That's the pharmacist's job. I mean, we are drug information specialists. So I think it works in our favor for people to know that they can rely on us. And a recent poll showed that we were, we pharmacists, were the number one trusted profession in America. Susie, I want to ask you about a phrase that you have used as the title of one of your books, drug muggers. What does that mean and who are the biggest culprits? Uh, so drug muggers is the title of one of my best-selling books, and it, it refers to drugs that are mugging nutrients. And these nutrients are essential. For example, we referred to statins depleting CoQ10, which can interfere not only with heart function, but also muscle function. And it can cause something called statin-induced myopathy, which is a big way to describe muscle pain, muscle weakness, cramps, leg cramps, back pain, etc. I'm not saying statins are bad. I'm saying that you can marry that drug with a nutrient like CoQ10. And there's others. Um, those statins can deplete selenium and vitamin D, I believe. But anyway, the the book itself is wonderful. A lot of pharmacists use this. A lot of doctors use this. But mainly it's geared for consumers to help them avoid unpleasant or uncomfortable side effects. I consider this book to be your side effect solution because you can find the medicine you're taking and know what nutrient to take. And that's important. I'd like to ask you specifically about two or three different categories briefly, and that is PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, beta blockers, which tens of millions of Americans take for their heart and blood pressure, and then steroids, corticosteroids like prednisone. Can you give us a very quick primer on how they might affect nutrients? Sure. Um, very quickly, the PPIs are acid blockers, and when they when they are taken chronically, you're going to see reduced serum magnesium, uh, reduced calcium, a depletion in probiotics, vitamin B12, iron, and zinc. As far as the beta blockers, those are going to reduce a couple of things that would be important, one of which is coenzyme Q10. And this nutrient, again, is very important for antioxidant defenses. It's a liver-produced uh, nutrient that's ubiquitous to the body and a reduction in CoQ10 can manifest itself in the muscles and the heart and memory and depression. So restoring that. Also beta blockers classically deplete melatonin, potentially disturbing sleep and that, you know, your blood pressure is good, but you're up all night. And then as far as steroids, those are glucocorticoids, things like prednisone, methylpred, and hydrocortisone. Those classically affect the bones, so they'll deplete vitamin D and calcium and zinc very strongly, uh, can lead to hypothyroidism through the drug-mugging effect of selenium, and can later lead to depression through the drug-mugging effect on folate. 
So I would say if people are taking, you know, any one of these, and I know that's a lot to unpack there, but hopefully people can rewind our podcast and play that back or grab a copy of my book. But what you would do is you would not stop taking your medication. I want to emphasize that because in no way, shape, or form am I saying stop your medicine. What I am saying is support your body with these healthy nutrients that you know that the drugs are depleting from you. So if you're taking a drug that's causing this drug mugging effect, you're going to have these depletions. If you don't restore these nutrients for pennies a day, you're going to wind up with new symptoms. And you know what happens then? You go to the doctor with your new symptom and they're going to get a new new drug. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And we we should say that um, it, it does make sense. And by the way, people can find this information on your website. We found quite a bit of it there. So that's a, a great resource. People can take the nutrients to replenish what the drugs are depleting, or they might at some point talk to the doctor about deprescribing don't stop taking the drug on your own, but sometimes it's reasonable to have a conversation about deprescribing. Susie, in the minutes that we have left, I would like to talk a bit about natural healing. We live in what seems to be extremely stressful times, and we don't have to go into the details. I think everybody knows what we're talking about. Historically, Uh, Physicians have prescribed benzodiazepines. You know, don't need to mention the names, but I think everybody has heard about Valium, known generically as diazepam, or Xanax, Alprazolam. And we've learned that these drugs can be very hard to stop and that they may have some side effects. So we won't go into that. But if we went to visit you, What would you recommend when it comes to natural approaches to anxiety and stress? Hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought up benzodiazepines. I wrote an important blog called Benzodiazepines, Dangers and Lies. And I just want to emphasize that if you happen to read something about a benzodiazepine, do not suddenly stop taking it as that can spark a seizure due to the sudden decrease in GABA, which we talked about earlier. GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter, and so you don't want to suddenly withdraw a benzodiazepine. That's And, and when I say suddenly, people think, well, I'm going to you know, get off of it in a week or a month. That's way too fast. So these things have to be stopped and tapered very, very slowly so that the cell receptors you know, that are downregulated can then start to come alive again. So I just want to emphasize that part. As far as what I would suggest for natural, I have numerous blogs at my website. I like natural herbal remedies such as chamomile. You can have this as a supplement or a tea, passion flower. Sometimes people use 5-HTP, which will form serotonin in the body and then go on to form melatonin. These are very helpful as well. There are supplements that you can take that are helpful for causing tranquility. There's lots of sleep teas available and sleep supplements available. I would say that anxiety is very high in the world right now. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world, and I just wrote a blog about that, which is archived at my website. But while all of these can be effective, none are a substitute 
for medical treatment for severe cases where someone is suicidal or, you know, having thoughts of harm. So I want to be careful there that people don't think, oh, you know, I, I can stop taking my Risperdal or my um, Zoloft or, you know, something that they're using for bipolar or OCD or something like that and just go do Tai Chi and take chamomile because that's not going to work. But there are important things that we can take, valerian root, ashwagandha, lavender. Well, let's, let's hit the pause button right there with ashwagandha because Dr. Taroni Lodog, who's been a frequent guest on The People's Pharmacy, has talked about ashwagandha for people who are tired but wired. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think Americans still have not really grokked what ashwagandha is and where it came from. Well, it's a natural herb. I was at Supply Side recently, and I uh, went to the booth for one of one of the more famous makers, KSM sixty six. They make a great brand of ashwagandha, which I've put into my thyroid product. But not only does it help with people who are tired because it'll help you sleep, right? So you can get some sleep and then you wake up a little bit more refreshed. But it's also useful for stress and anxiety. And it it is one of the most well-researched herbs in the entire world. And it works because it helps reduce cortisol levels, which cortisol is our stress hormone and it's the hormone that causes belly fat. It's our body's primary stress hormone. So here this plant extract comes along and helps to control that and modulate it a little bit, which then helps to reduce feelings of anxiety. So another way that it helps to promote relaxation is through its anti-inflammatory properties. We know that when the body's on fire and there's pro-inflammatory cytokines that, you know, we don't feel well. Also, it helps to improve brain function. But most of all, ashwagandha is known to help balance thyroid hormones. So someone who's tired but wired is really experiencing a lot of inflammation in their body. Their thyroid isn't working properly. They're probably not sleeping, and they probably have a lot of stress in their life. Ashwagandha comes along like a wet blanket and helps put that fire out. Susie, we are almost out of time. So I am wondering if you have some advice for our listeners as to how they should approach medications, conventional medications, and how they should approach supplements for natural healing. What sorts of questions should they be looking to have answered? Well, to, ha- to consult with a healthcare professional or two would be important. I would say to educate yourself before diving into any herbal remedy or any medication so that you understand fully what the potential side effects and benefits are behind it. As for drugs, I would say start low, go slow. I say this all the time. If you read any of my blogs, you'll see that over and over. Because with medications, there's not a, a one-size-fits-all pill like they would want you to think. Uh, Sometimes a lower dose is better for someone, and it depends on their metabolism. So start low, go slow. As for herbal remedies, stay updated, listen to your body, and look for quality. Just because you're looking for a natural supplement at the health food store doesn't mean that it's safe for you or that it's right for you or that it's even going to work. Unfortunately, most vitamin sellers are using precursor inactive vitamins that don't even work. 
Some do not have third-party testing, and most are loaded with sterates and fillers and words that you can't pronounce. So listen to your body, purchase high-quality supplements and herbs if you're going to do that, and consult professionals that can help you. And um, most of all, just really just listen to your body and practice patience. Natural remedies often work subtly, and they take more time than drugs. But I do believe that they are safer. Susie Cohen, thank you so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Susie Cohen. She brings more than 30 years of clinical experience in retail, hospital, and long-term care pharmacy to her role as America's most trusted pharmacist. She has a syndicated column, Dear Pharmacist, and is the author of several acclaimed books, including Drug Muggers and Thyroid Healthy. Susie is the 2023 recipient of a National Patient Safety Award from Nova Southeastern University, her website is suzycohen.com. And Susie is spelled S-U-Z-Y. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wadarski engineered. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with the People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Coco Via Memory and Focus is a unique formula made with a blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and support long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance all in one capsule. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,371. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can share your comments about today's interview. You can also reach us through email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. You'll find the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you could sign up for our free online newsletter. You'll get the latest news about important health stories. And when you subscribe, you also get regular access to information about our weekly podcast. You'll know ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.